And we're back with another episode of Stewcast. Welcome back in, everybody. Uh, thanks for checking this out. If it's your first time, I uh, appreciate you uh, listening. Remember, got a ton of shows. Uh, as recently as past week, we've had Andy Serling on. We've talked Orioles baseball with Connor Newcomb, Lockdown Orioles. And we, we've talked with uh, the scoop on the U talking Miami football. We're talking tons of different teams, tons of different sports. Um, good conversation. So something in the archives, I'm sure you'll find it if you're new to the program. And if you're not, welcome back in. Appreciate you checking it out. A lot of great stuff coming up today. David Aragona, Morning Line Odds Maker at Naira, uh, Time Form US podcast. He's there. He, he's phenomenal. He's joining us to talk a little Friday action, late pick four. And then Nick Tamro uh, joining us to do the late pick five on Saturday, uh, leading into the Belmont Stakes. Uh, some really great racing this weekend. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, once again, got to give a shout out to our friends at Dreammaker Racing, who always, always great sponsors to this program when I, around the big derby times that uh, helped this show out quite a bit. So shout out to Tom and Andrew and the folks leading the charge over there. If you're looking to get into horse racing, if you got a few shekels you got on the side, these are the guys to do it with. Uh, they're phenomenal. They take care of you. It's an amazing experience. And you're going to get a horse running at Belmont and Saratoga and Aqueduct. And it's you're going to have a horse running. And it'll be on uh, primetime TV. It'll be on national TV. So very few folks offer it. They do. Check them out. Dreammaker Racing. Um, coming up next week, we're going to bring back something from the vault. Something that uh, a lot of folks maybe being, being new to the program, they might not have heard it. Amazing conversation I had uh, a couple of years ago now with Scott Bernstein uh, about mafia in the sports, uh, organized crime in the sports. It's crazy. It's an amazing conversation. goes a little long. It's about an hour, but uh, I think... I think uh, you'll get a kick out of it. You'll learn some stuff that's kind of mind-blowing. Um, but I'm going to bring that back out of the vault. And, of course, we got college hoops to talk about, transfer portal. we got more college football coming up on the horizon. Uh, some big guests that I'm working on getting back in and, and uh, getting scheduled up. So please stay tuned to the show. Without further ado, though, I'm going to hand it over to David Aragona, as we go over the late pick four on Friday. Hello, Derby fans. This is Tom Gallo with Dreammaker Racing, proud sponsor of the Scoopcast. Have you ever dreamed of getting your picture taken in the winter circle at racetracks like Saratoga and Belmont Park? Let us get you there through our incredible racehorse partnerships that have been built on years of experience in the industry. Dreammaker Racing is the premier partnership in New York, running New York Reds in the state of New York. From our on-site hospitality, excellent owner communication, and overall incredible experience, we have been able to serve people from all over the world for nearly two decades and get them crazy about horse racing. Stop by our website today, dreammakerracing.com for more information. We can make your racing dreams come true. Now back to the show. All right, joined by one of my favorite people. He's been a mensch to come on as often as he does. He's a great guy, better than Craig Mokowski. Some some say that. Some some have said this. He's the best in the business at making morning lines. He's killing the business with how good he is. He's the great David Aragona. David, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Glad to join you on a very exciting week for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I thought it was interesting. I was telling you a little bit off air. I thought it was interesting that you opted to only put five horses in some of these races. And I think Twitter's called you out for it. Pretty, pretty apropos. I think it's, I think it's, it boils down to your fault. 
yeah, my, my tenure as racing czar, I guess, isn't going too well because I really <laughs> messed this one up now. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, it's a problem that we've seen coming for a long time in racing with these small fields. And it's kind of the trade-off when you get these stars to compete on a big day like Saturday at Belmont. There were just so many other graded stakes for the lesser level stakes horses to compete in that they can go to Kentucky, they can go to other circuits, they can race elsewhere. Uh, so you just find the elite horses competing in these grade ones and nobody really wanted to show up to face them. But still at the same time, and I've seen you make this point, I've seen Nick Tamra, who's coming up later on in the show, make this point, and Andy make this point. There's some really good races. I mean... And still, even on Saturday, and especially this Friday's Friday's card is excellent. And you look at Saturday's card, and yes, there's some races where you wish there was a few more horses in there. But there's still, like, Jaipur is still really good. The Manhattan's still really interesting. Like, there's great betting opportunities, I feel. I don't know. Is that, is that, I know that it's really, there's a dichotomy on uh, social media, go figure. Um What's your take on, like, I think everything ended up pretty good, actually, in the end. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see the way the races came up. I feel like if you've been following the, I mean, who said they were going to run in these races, everybody who said they were going to run actually showed up. It's just, you know, you're not getting a lot of 20, 30 to one shots that are also in the starting gate with them. Some people don't like that. I mean, we're going to get to see these elite horses probably get perfect trips because there just aren't that many rivals for them to deal with. So we'll get to settle things on the racetrack that met mile with flight line and speakers corner drawn right alongside each other, with just three rivals in the race. Uh, they're probably going to hook up at some point and we'll see which one is best. I mean, uh, it kind of shapes up like a match race. Not that a couple of the others in there are exactly slouches. Uh, but you know, on Saturday's card, I guess you could say maybe the Woody Stevens with Jack Christopher yep. is a race that just has one horse that's going to be an overwhelming favorite but all of the other races even though they have some five and six horse fields there's some pretty mouth-watering matchups i mean even the acorn with echo zulu and matarea uh chad brown i know has almost the entire field in the just game but <laughs> two of his horses are very talented and it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against each other so i don't feel like any of these races are necessarily or too many of these races are foregone conclusions I mean, it's just a matter of finding a different kind of value than you might look for on a day when you have 10, 12, 14 horse fields. It's more, um, you know, slighter variations in value, whether you think two to one is a good price on a horse that you believe should be even money. Um, so you might want to try to string some of those opinions together in multi-race bets. That's often the right way to play these cards. Uh, but uh, the value probably isn't going to be there as much in the win and exactly the pools you know you know this is the kind of card though for for a guy like me and you've seen me i mean uh, uh when we met up at saratoga i was clutching five dollar bills i'm not a big time better you know and uh this is the kind of card where i feel like you know the weekend warrior can who's a guy that's going to be more apt to play maybe a, a caveman ticket if you will can get real spicy with, you know, getting real strong opinions. And you can, like you said, time together and you can be alive for a $10 pick three or a $10 pick four and just go single, single, single. And, you know, I think, I think this is the kind of race weekend where you see great stuff. And like you said, there's betting opportunities there. So go bet the Belmont and Naira puts on the best product in the country. It's the best. Um, Let's take a look at Friday, though, because this Friday card's phenomenal. Um, we're not going to get into all the races. I know I would love to, but we can listen to Talking Horses and read your reviews on uh, Timeform, uh, the Timeform piece. That if you go on the Naira.com, you, you do a phenomenal, phenomenal write-up that tends to – I like, I you make me put in horses I don't want to, but – uh, you do a phenomenal write-up, so check that out, folks. The link is on Horse to Watch, at Horse to Watch, David's uh, Twitter. Uh, we're going to start with the Belmont Gold Cup, going two miles on green stuff. Got to imagine there's going to be some cut in the ground. This historically has been a race where Europeans have kind of, you know, I'm looking for the Charlie Appleby, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that. But we get, it feels like we're not even getting the C team from Europe. We're getting like the summer school dropouts 
from Europe. Uh, is that going to be enough to win this race, you think? Yeah, the Euros have typically been pretty strong in this race, just given the stamina that's required to win going two miles, especially if, like you said, there is some given the ground. I think that's going to favor the Euros even more. Uh, you're right. We have seen some better European horses come over for this race in the past. That said, it's not like the American contingent is all that formidable. So I still feel like the two Euros that did come over have major chances to win this race. Um, they're, they're both wild cards to some extent uh, because the German horse Loft, I think, has a lot to prove from a class standpoint. It, it's very unclear of what he's been beating over in Germany and how that form is really going to stack up against some legitimate graded stakes horses. And Outbox, um, kind of an unusual European horse and just the crazy busy schedule that he's kept. Typically you see horses coming from over there be much more lightly raced than him, but he managed 16 starts in 2021 um, as a seven-year-old. I think he was off for like two years at some point, but uh, they really, uh, you know, milked him dry last year to try to get all those starts out of him. Hasn't been quite so active this year, but his performances um, have been good when he has his mind on running coming off a poor one. So he lacks some of the consistency of loft that German horse, uh, but it does feel like he might have a higher ceiling. So uh, I, I think that they're both major contenders in this race. And uh, the Americans are probably going to have to step up their game going this distance if they want to hang with them. Yeah. And that's, it, that was tough for me. And, and just looking how you made this line, uh, a bond five to two morning line, the, the highest rated of the American runners, you got to figure is going to set the pace. But when looking at this pace, it feels like outbox is going to be ridden right there towards the front too. So you might get a little bit of a pace in my mind. I was real interested in, in Cibolian, Cibolian, whatever. I, I mean, Rudy's got a crazy name with this one, but the six, I thought, you know, you look at that Churchill race behind a wall, uh, and then just gets a little bit of uh, daylight and runs like it's Barry Sanders getting away from the Packers secondary. I mean, it was, it was incredible. To me, that was the one that I kind of linked to, the American contingent that I, I've, I felt like getting a, a little, you know, risky with. Is there one that you like from the uh, American side that you think has a real chance to, to break into the exact or win? Yeah, I think that Louisville stakes that Sabolian's coming out of is an interesting race to watch for trips because you're right, he he did have some trouble in that race. He was kind of blocked for most of, most of the stretch drive and was able to do some running through traffic, but never really had a clear look at it. Probably would have hit the board or potentially even won that race if he had gotten through. Uh, I can't say that I love his prior form and I wonder about the overall quality of that Louisville, but uh, it does seem like he's coming into this race doing better than he has before and the distance helps him. Um, I thought Strong Tide would be the one that I wanted most out of that Louisville, though, because even though he finished 12th, I mean, he lost all chance at about the eighth pole. He was traveling well around the turn, and his rider just took his chance trying to come up the inside, and a horse moved into his path, and he got badly steadied back and and just had no chance to really hit the board there i don't know where he was going to finish it's hard to say because he just got completely stopped and has lost all his momentum but uh clearly he's a much better horse than his result in that race would indicate uh he ran some big races on dirt this winter but i also liked his turf race in the john b Connolly going back to january so i think strong tide might be the best american horse in this race the problem is the two miles. He tried this race last year, uh, didn't have any success, was basically eased. That was a track that had a lot of give in it, uh, and he just didn't seem to handle it at all. So I think he'd be hoping that there isn't much rain in the forecast and it doesn't come to fruition that uh, this track comes up good or yielding again. So we'll see what happens with him. But I, I like Strong Tide a little bit more than a Bon. Uh, they're pretty similar. I just thought Strong Tide would be a better price. But um, I put the Euros 1-2 in here. I, I just had trouble getting past them. Not totally convinced on the German horse loft. Um, he was pretty gritty winning last time. If you look up the replay of that race, which you can find on YouTube, I, 
I personally wouldn't put too much stock in some of those closing splits that I know some people are making a lot out of that are showed in the upper left-hand <laughs> portion of the screen. Uh, they're, they're not believable. The final time actually gets posted before the horses even cross the wire. So there was something wrong with the timing of that race. So I, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't make that the reason why you like this horse. Um, he just hasn't really been facing any, any runners that have proven quality. So we'll see. At least Outbox has run against some good horses. He was just, you know, less than a length behind Yabir or two back in that jockey club stakes. Uh, ran poorly last time, but was off to a slow start. Couldn't get his usual trip. Like you said, he likes to be forwardly placed. Holly Doyle, one of the better riders in Europe right now. So uh, she's probably going to have this horse forward. She knows him well. She's ridden him quite a bit. Uh, and going back to the middle of last year, he was keeping pretty good company in those group three races. Uh, the horse Hookham, who beat him a couple times, not by that much, uh, since go on, gone on to be a group one winner. He just won the Coronation Cup last week. So it feels like Outbox, uh, he, he's the one that has the proven quality in here. It's just a matter of whether they can get him to show up. Proven quality probably sums up the true north as we move on to race nine, uh, six and a half furlongs on what's probably going to be some muddy stuff. And this really, I mean, Jackie's where you, I, I, I was talking with uh, my buddy and he's like, what do you think Jackie's warrior is? And I go, ah, probably two to five. And I felt like a genius when I saw two to five on yours, but I, I think it, it, there stands a chance that it's even less in this race. Um, it, it, is it is it just as simple as you just you just pick Jackie's worry and you just let it go? Yeah, I mean, it just feels like he's uh, in another league than these horses, really, than most of the sprinters out there. Um, I suppose they could have tried the Met Mile with him, but I get why they're not doing that. I mean, the two other horses that are the main players in this race, that racer speeds, and uh, he's arguably not quite at his best going a mile. So I just think this makes perfect sense for him. They're trying to build up his resume before the fall to achieve another sprint title, kind of similar to what they did last year. Uh, they were not shy about running him pretty often, and he continued to show up right up until that Breeders' Cup sprint when he had uh, you know, an excuse coming out of that race with a bone chip. But aside from that one poor effort, I mean, he's just been really reliable in these races. And I see no reason why he's not supposed to show up again. I know there's other speed in this race, but that's never been much of a hindrance to him before. He's just really fast and he typically takes control of these races. So uh, pretty hard to see past him in this spot. I 100% agree. Uh, let's just move on to the New York Stakes, uh, also known as the Chad Brown Invitational this year. You, you got some really nice horses. I mean, uh, this is going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because, you know, uh, going through this Rougier, we get to see Rougier come back off that very impressive bogey. Um, you've got Virginia Joy, who, if you just look at the figures, that Sheep's Head Bay was wildly impressive, 14 and a quarter lengths win. Um Bleecker Street, we've seen the talent. I mean, and we're not even talking about, you know, Brendan Walsh, who's been on fire this year down at Churchill with uh, Gaff Leone. I mean, there you could go a lot of different ways in here. What was your take on this race? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the talent in here is pretty much concentrated in one barn with Chad Brown and Peter Brand sending out four out of the seven runners in this field. I would imagine that the long shot of that quartet, Flighty Lady, you're drawn down towards the inside, is in here to be a pace setter. Um, it's something that Chad Brown has done before. He's often done it with Eric, Eric Cancel as the rider. So, um, I mean, I haven't seen any confirmation of that, but I'm imagining that Flighty Lady is something like a rabbit in this race. Um, the three other Chad Brown runners do prefer to come from off the pace. So I'm sure he'd like to have a strong gallop up front. So maybe she's going to ensure that. Um, I don't think Flighty Lady's in here to necessarily compromise anybody in particular because there really is no speed in this race. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, but of the three Chad Brown runners that I think are serious contenders, Rougier might just be a step above the rest. Uh, she wasn't beating the strongest field in the Bogay last time, but 
that just felt like the perfect prep for this race coming off the layoff. She had shown quality in France last year, already had coming into the Chad Brown barn with credentials, having won that group one pre de l'opera and uh, seemed like she got back to that form last time. She really finished up that race strongly. Uh, she doesn't have the quickest turn of foot, but when she hits top gear, I mean, she really motors through the wire and you saw that last time she has handled a mile and a quarter in the past. She's probably even better going that distance. So, um, it just feels like she's going to be pretty tough to beat. Uh, the two other Chad Brown runners uh, that I think you could make a case for, they're not slouches either. Like you said, Virginia Joy, she's got that big speed figure for the blowout win last time. I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Uh, that was Derby weekend when there was just a ton of rain in the New York area. That turf course was rated yielding. It probably was closer to soft, probably even closer to heavy. I mean, it was just one of the boggiest turf courses I've ever seen them run over in New York. And the horses that got to the front end were basically guaranteed victories and often lopsided victories. So um, I feel like that performance a little bit dressed up. She's facing a much, much tougher field here. Not that she's untalented, but uh, I don't think she's necessarily showing herself to be quite the quality of Rougier in the past. And Bleecker Street, I mean, I think it's unwise to underestimate her because she's just showed up every time. And it seems like she keeps getting better with every race uh, six for six in her career. I think it's going to be tough for her to take that career record to seven in a row uh, with Rougier in the race. But Bleecker Street, she she's a pretty strong finisher and she tries really hard. So I'm not going to be shocked when she's coming at the end. It just feels like uh, her stablemate might be a little bit better. You know, I, I've been looking at the time form uh, pace figures here. Do you see any chance that Family Way might might muddy this thing up? That was the one that I kind of looked at. And, you know, you see Rosario on on any other horse in here with core values to four. You know he's all about speed. He's very tactical. Um, do you think there's an, any way that maybe somebody gets out to the front? Or do you just feel like this is bound to be a little bit faster than we expect and set up for a closer? I mean, I, I have trouble seeing Family Way. I just don't love any of her races that much. Um, I, I Maybe turning back to a mile and a quarter is going to help her a little bit, but she was no match for Virginia Joy in that very one, the very one over the winter. And I'm not even convinced that I think Virginia Joy is one of the top two most likely winners of this race. So I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I had trouble getting to her. I mean, frankly, I'm not going to be shocked if Flighty Lady opens up a big lead and hangs on for a piece because uh, we've seen some of these horses that, that are used as rabbits in these races often get bigger shares of the purse than they're meant to. Uh, we saw that happen with Trubavan for Chad Brown last year in a couple of big races. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that she's quite this good, but if some others fall asleep at the wheel and Eric Cancel tries to steal this, I, I'd be aware of that being a, you know something that could happen. But no, it, it feels like um the chad brown closers are just going to be too tough to hold off yeah that would be something though the other 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 chad winning a race uh that would be good uh let's wrap it up here the intercontinental stakes uh six furlongs on the turf and what is probably i think the best race of the day there's 45 different ways i feel like you could go here um I, I had a tough time with this one. I imagine you did making this morning line. Uh, where, where are you leaning to in this one? Yeah, this could be the best race of the entire weekend. It's just super competitive. I feel like uh, it's hard to narrow it down. There are so many contenders in here. I mean, even some of the rank outsiders you could make a mild case for. Uh, I mean, among those that are likely to take money, I don't have a big argument against any of them. I mean, horses like Caravelle and Toby's Heart and Miss J. McKay, they're all somewhat logical. I think it's just a matter of how short a price you want to take on anybody in a race that is this wide open. I guess my problem with Caravelle is that I know she's got that victory on synthetic two back at Turfway. Might be a better synthetic horse than Turf Horse, really, when you look through her form. But ever since she's left the uh, Liz Merriman barn, I just feel like she hasn't quite had that same magic or the same spark. And she's taken a lot of money in these races. I know they've run her in some tough spots against males and getting back with the Phillies is probably going to be to her benefit, but she always is a short price. And I just feel like um, she, her form isn't necessarily better than anybody else. 
Toby's heart. She overcame a moderate pace last time to win at Churchill. And I feel like a repeat of that performance is going to be good enough. Uh, to me, she's a major, major player in this race and just needs a little bit of pace up, up front of her. We'll see if that materializes. Um, it does feel like Robin Sparkles is clearly the fastest of all early. I haven't loved her recent form and I don't totally trust her to wire this field just given the strength of competition. Uh, but uh, she does figure to be in front of these if you want the speed. Miss J. McKay, um, she was really impressive last time. I thought that she also had everything go her way. She was on top of a slow pace, was able to just sprint home off her own fractions. I feel like it's going to be a little tougher this time, breaking from the far outside post number 13 with a little more speed in the race. She could find herself coming from mid-pack. She's not always the quickest horse in the early stages, so I'm not going to be surprised if she gets a bit more outrun this time. Just at a short price, I, I did not want to lean on her, or I should say a relatively short price. I don't think anybody can possibly go off that short in this field. Um, I, I wanted to look for some other horses that just could offer some value, and I mean, I'll mention a couple of them. Uh, the horse that I made my top pick is actually the number five, Jouster. Uh, she's one of the few that's coming out of that Giants Causeway at Keeneland. And I was a little bit intrigued by her turning back in that race because even though she had gone longer in all of her prior turf races, she has a lot of early speed and she hadn't been finishing off those two turn races that well recently. So it felt like maybe the turn back could work for her. There was just so much speed in that giant's causeway that she was almost guaranteed to get out run early. And uh, that fate was sealed when she didn't break that well and then got sandwiched between horses at the start and was out the back early. But she was actually doing quite a bit of running in the stretch there, passing about half the field. Um, it felt like she responded decently to sprinting on the turf. And now that she's had that experience under her belt, I feel like she's likely to get her better trip here. Flavian Pratt sticking aboard. She's got the speed to be way more forward than she was last time. Probably not in front of Robin Sparkles, but she could be stalking that one. And even though she's a little bit light on the speed figures, I feel like she's better than she looks. And um, I wanted to, to use her at a price. And also the number 11, uh, Miss Majorette, who I thought closed pretty well and do a very slow pace in the license fee last time. Another horse that's coming in a little bit light on the speed figures, but has just been improving recently and uh, has a big light kick on her if the pace does materialize. And she's guaranteed to be a price. It's just a horse that seems fated to get lost in the shuffle with so many options in here. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you real quick about, because I use turn form quite a bit. I love seeing the horses closing in the slow paces. For you, is that a big part of your handicapping when you're seeing those those bright blue uh, fractions right in the middle on time form and, and seeing a horse move? Oh, yeah, I always look for that. Uh, I mean, especially on the turf, when you see horses produce those closing kicks into slow paces, it's pretty meaningful. But you also have to apply that to today's race and decide how you think their trip is going to differ from last time. In a 13-horse field, it feels like there has to be a little more pace than any of these horses. <laughs> Somebody's going, in. David. Somebody's yeah, going. You would hope so. I mean, that doesn't always happen, especially on the New York circuit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Fair point. Know, it, we'll see. I mean, it feels like anybody who uh, is trying to come from off the pace is going to have to worry a little bit more about racing luck and working out a trip than the pace, just, you know, with traffic in a 13 horse field. Uh, but yeah, I definitely look at that stuff who was against paces or with the pace last time and um, upgrading or downgrading performances based on that. Now, this would normally be the point at which I ask you who your Belmont pick is, but I want to save that for the Timeform US pace cast available DRF podcast, go type it in the Google machine and uh, the sorcerer will take you there. Phenomenal show you do with uh, Mr. Milkowski, our good friend. I know you got that going this weekend. That's going to be available soon. What else you got going? Cause I know 45 other people probably are begging you. They're in the DMS. They're hitting you up. Where are you going to be this week? Uh, if folks want to hear more of your thoughts and and get uh some of your takes yeah and a few other podcast requests this week i'll i'll retweet all of that so you can find it on my twitter account at horse to watch um i'll be writing analysis for the daily racing form for saturday's card i'll be doing my usual uh, drf betting strategies with mike beer we'll be writing analysis of all the races giving out some wagers as you said i'll be doing my usual time form us forecast with craig uh We'll be recording that on Thursday morning. Hopefully it'll be out by the afternoon. Uh, we'll have uh, a handicapper that I'm a big 
fan of Emily Gullickson joining us for that podcast to go over the, some of the Saturday races. So looking forward to that. And yeah, a lot to get done before the end of the week, but hopefully once it's a lot of the way, we can enjoy some pretty good racing this weekend. Well, thank you for all the hard work this week. I, you're almost done. I mean, so you still got to do Sunday. Sunday's got to come up here. God, God bless. It's You probably deserve a vacation after this, but uh, catch David. Thank you again. We'll be back after a short break with Nick Tamer. All right. We got the boss back. He is in the building. There's only one boss around here and that's Nikki, the boss Tamro. Nick, it's so good to see you. Thank you for doing this. Um, it's, it's a late day for you. So I appreciate it, brother. No, the pleasure is all mine. Glad to be with you talking about the little Belmont stakes action. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I, I think you, you, and folks can go check out your, uh, your Twitter at NTAM1215. Uh, thanks Steve Beck for making me memorize that. Uh, but you, I think you've laid out, I know, and we talked about it with David Aragona earlier. I, I actually think, you know, Saturday's card. Yeah. You wish you had a few more horses in some of the races, but you know what? pretty damn good races and you look at some of these especially this late pick five we're going to go over um like tell me the woody stevens in the jaipur um on saturday even though it, woody's not in that that pick it, it, there's some there's some races here man there's some races oh no question about it i mean i think the only race that i would take issue with having um a particularly small field i think the two for me would be the Woody Stevens and the Belmont. And, and I only say that because there are definitely members of this crop that should be in one of those races and their trainers are either taking an overly conservative route by saving them for, you know, the second half of the year, or they've not quite understood and, and come to grips with the fact that they are likely to be uh, sprinters. So yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, would it have mattered if they hustled the sixth or seventh horse for the Met Mile or who the hell was going to run against those five and the FIPS? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I just, who was going to run against Echo Zulu and Matarea and the Acorn? You know, Kathleen O is hurt. Sacred Oath ran against males. Who's left? Right. So it, it's, uh, I think people have to understand that. And I tweeted this quite some time ago. Um, we have a, a rapidly declining full crop, an endless supply of graded stakes, and we have a good horse shortage. There aren't that many good horses right now. So, you know, it plays out that way. Now, what there are on Saturday at Belmont are a lot of good horses. They just seem to be basically all the good horses that we have in training. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to put it. Now, if people want to get, I, I still think there's a lot of value betting wise on this card. If you can get very skinny with some opinions, you, especially for a weekend warrior like myself, uh, even though I'm laid up in bed here, I'm firing every day. I mean, it's, it's bad at this point. Uh, but I, you know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, I can get real, real aggressive. I can, I can get real brave with some of these bets. Um, and we'll start with this late pick five. I'll tee you up. Ogden Phipps. Uh, it'll be going off at three Oh five P oh, before we get to the Ogden Phipps, I forgot to ask you this. We're going to get rain, right? I, you know, local weatherman, Marshall Sterling, shout out Marshall. Uh, he was saying that it, you're going to get rain. It's going to be rain overnight, rain in the afternoon. Nick, uh, we've seen Belmont play very friendly to speed on wet tracks recently. Um, I can think back to about two weeks ago um, where, you know, if you just made the lead, you know, it's almost murder. She wrote hard to make up ground. What's your impression of a wet track ad big scene? You know, it, it kind of depends um, as of right now. And, and we're, we're talking about these things on Wednesday night, there's supposed to be a pretty significant amount of rain tonight into tomorrow that will probably uh, most significantly affect the Thursday card. As of right now, the forecast for Saturday is looking much better. So Good. hopefully we don't have to, to deal much with a wet surface, but um, it depends. I mean, there are sort of, of classic dead rail wet tracks where the wider the move, the better. And then on, uh, I think it was Derby Day, 
that was a wet track at Belmont that got wet and got progressively wetter. And when that happens, it generally becomes kind of a, a speed, speed lovers, speed horses to haven. And, and I think that's kind of the difference. So you just want to, you know, you want to keep up with it and, and watch it as closely as possible. But, um, you know, hopefully again, that's not, that's not what we'll be dealing with. It does look as of right now, like we're going to get a pretty significant amount of rain Wednesday night. And uh, hopefully we'll, we just won't deal with much beyond that. So it looks like a beautiful day Friday. And, uh, and again, hopefully we'll get lucky on Saturday. Hopefully let's hope Marshall's wrong. He's, you know, it's weatherman, you know, <laughs> it's 50, 50, uh, Ogden Phipps dirt mile on the 16th. Uh, Nick, what do you think? You know, this is a, a, obviously a tremendously interesting running of this race because you basically have the five best female horses that are four and up alive right now. And, um, and the fifth best horse in this race, Bonnie South is a horse who was favored in multiple races last year. So, you know, she is the horse with a, with a good deal of talent. She has been beaten by Latruska three times and Malathot once all in the last year or so. And one of those defeats came here in the Ogden Phipps last year when Latruska wired the field. I think the, the key component of this race is the one-turn configuration. And I think it's important to understand exactly what the one-turn configuration does. And for my money, what it does is it makes Latruska's job a little bit tougher because she doesn't get those turns, which she generally handles very well to create some separation on her rivals. And to me, the horse that it really brings into the mix in the most significant way is Clarier. And, and, and I think that Clarier's effort in the apple blossom was actually better than it looks on paper. I think that she ran a, a really credible race in finishing second. I know Latruska beat her by over a length, but I thought she ran really well. And I want to, I kind of want to give her an opportunity to turn the tables. She is a filly who has been beaten by you know, Malathot three times, four times, really, if you include races that Malathot didn't win. And uh, she's been beaten by surge results. She's been beaten by Latruska. This could be her opportunity to exact some revenge. And I think this is one of those scenarios in a, a, a string of races that are pretty, I don't want to say they're not uncompetitive, but they just don't look like they present a ton of, of attractive wagering options. This is a horse who might be a decent price that you could use for a bit of an upset. I'd have a hard time betting a pick five without using Latruska as an A. I would use Malathot as a backup, and anybody else winning would just mean I lose. If from a pace standpoint, it, it, you know, you t you've talked about it. I know JK talks about it all the time, designing the race in your head. In my mind, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, because you're much better at this than I, but it really feels like Latruska's going to go, and then Malathot and search results are going to be right there, like right behind. And when that turns, you know, when we're heading for the stretch, they're going to have first dibs on and, and probably have a little bit something left. Search results, you mentioned you're leaving out of it. What's the deciding factor to take uh, Malathot over search results? Um, you know, I think that ultimately Malathot is a bit better Philly than search results. I don't know if their respective races so far in 2022 bear that out, but I do think it's worth noting with regards to Malathot that one of the horses that she beat last time out in the double dog there was super quick who came back from Norm Cassidy and won the, uh, the, the Allaire DuPont distaff at Pimlico and got a hundred plus buyer. So there's a reasonable argument that the double dog there figure could be getting an adjustment pretty soon. It was also just a jumping off point. She was a little bit more professional in that race than she had been as a three-year-old. So I still think there's upside search results as a ruffian was very, very good. I'm a little concerned that the big bounce back, was courtesy of her handling a wet track that maybe some of her rivals didn't. And, and so I need search results to prove it one more time. The thing I would say to anybody who's backing search results is that you're going to get the best price on her that you will get this year if she wins this race. So, I mean, she will quickly become one of the leaders in the division if she wins this race. So she's going to go off five to one or so in here. You're never getting five to one again. So <laughs> if you like search results, it's, it's the day. Yeah, you definitely want to be there for the wedding day. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's let's head to the Jaipur, uh, which goes as race eight, six furlongs on the turf. Help me. I'm phoning a friend. This is who wants to build be a millionaire. I'm lost, Nick. I I guess 10 of these I feel have a 
have a realistic shot. I could make a case for winning this race and turf sprints are like throw a dart at a board. Do you have any clear observation of this race? This is an extremely tough race and, and not only the size of the field would lead you to believe that, but looking through it, there are a lot of win candidates in this race. It is a very difficult race to narrow down. You know, I haven't actually made my final selection. I'm trying to find a reason not to pick gear jockey because I'm such a gear jockey fan. I'm very excited about Jose Lascano being reunited with gear jockey. I just think he fits him a little bit better than any other rival. And I love the way he was able to get him into a forward position pretty consistently throughout uh, some of his best races in 2021. So I'm expecting a better gear jockey effort. I think that Gregorian Chan is very interesting as well. You know, I was looking through this field and handicapping the race and I, I reminded myself of my own tweet on Kentucky Oaks day, which was something to the effect of I'm exhausted with handicapping interesting looking turf sprints that are won by Wesley Ward at under late odds. <laughs> and so, you know, arrest me red kind of falls into that category. He was five to two in the, in the turf sprint on Oaks day. He'll probably be a relatively similar price. And I think my critical approach uh, or my critical thought on, on arrest me red was that his two New York stakes wins last year were about as phony a pair of races as you're going to find right? He pissed along on the lead in the Belmont turf sprint and the aqueduct race was even more criminal because the other speed scratched at the gate and gave everybody in the field, no chance whatsoever. And he tooled along on a very easy lead on a late autumn turf course that can often become very kind to speed. So I don't, I just don't think a resume red is that good. And so for that reason, I'm inclined to be against him. I don't know exactly what to make of Casa Creed, but I feel like Casa Creed kind of has to be used. And, and I thought his effort in, in uh, Saudi Arabia was terrific. He came back, and I don't think he embarrassed himself whatsoever in Dubai. Obviously ran well in this race last year. I'm hoping that somebody comes forward to push Arrest Red early and that that will force things along a little bit to set up some of my, my closing types that I've laid out because uh, if it's any of, of the, the three I said, Gear Jockey, Gregorian, Chant, or uh, potentially um, a, you know a, a, another late running type like Casa Creed, I will win. The only other horse that I would say I'd use probably more as a backup is Smoke and Jay, who I think is going to be more effective at six furlongs than he is at five. And I thought he ran well last time out at Pimlico. Is True Valor the real key to this one? Because it really feels like True Valor might be, uh, and we saw in the King Leatherberry uh, with Fergal Lynch taking over in the irons, uh, you know, hey, we're going. We're going to the front, and that's how we're going to win. Do you think True Valor might be the one to push it if it's any of them? He kind of holds all the cards, right? So you're you're smart in bringing him up as a as a factor. Maybe not so much on the win end, but you know his his best two races since he joined Grand Motions Care have been when he's been forwardly placed. So it seems pretty obvious that he would need a forwardly placed trip in order to really have an opportunity to win this race. So I'm kind of hoping that's what they do. And um, he was also fresh last time out, which I don't know how much that may have contributed, but you know, all things considered, he set a pretty solid pace. He didn't exactly waltz along on the lead, you know, for, uh, it, using pace figures from our friend Craig Mulkowski at Time Form US. He basically set a pace that was faster than either of Resmi Reds wins in New York last year. So yeah, he he really he holds the keys because if he goes, then I think actually Irad probably prefers that because it gives Resmi Red a bit of a target. I happen to think when push comes to shove, it decreases the likelihood that Resmi Red wins. So I'm definitely hoping those are the uh, the tactics employed. Let's head to the big uh, the big Met Mile. I mean, it, it, is it as for one question here? Well, two. Is it as simple as? flight line or speaker's corner and if not then you know who who stay i mean aloha west happy saver i mean what do you do here yeah i would say the answer to your question is is yes it's as simple as those two the race within the race is going to be what happens in the first quarter mile and you know how much junior alvarado opts to spot flight line early and obviously aloha west and, and happy saver are nowhere near fast enough to stay close and um, i don't think they would want to use either of them to that extent to, to stay close because it would completely ruin any chance they had to win so 
you know, Flightline was a horse that the, the hole that you could have poked in him after his first two races is that he kind of sat on top of slow paces in both of those and and just powered clear late. Well, then he set a pretty solid pace in the Malibu and still <laughs> was the exact same horse. Yeah. So, you know, Flightline just might be a horse that is bizarrely good. And Speaker's Corner may end up paying the ultimate price for finding out. With that said, Speaker's Corner is no slouch. And he's a horse who can be very fast early too. So I think the obligation on Junior Alvarado's part is to keep Speaker's Corner within range. If you let Flightline get out there and grab a couple length lead, even if you make him go in the 45s to the half, I just think you're playing with fire. And ultimately what you want to do is give yourself an opportunity to win. Now Speaker's Corner is not going to get the soft trip that he did last time out in the Carter. And, um, and he's probably not going to get, you know, a sim- he got a pretty soft trip in the Gulfstream Mile too. He's a speed horse, so he can make his own trip in large part. The problem for Speaker's Corner is that the flight line that we saw in his first two starts, as good as he was, he was, we're talking about like borderline all-time great status in that Malibu. Now, it was also five and a half months ago. And he's a horse who clearly runs by appointment only. But one thing I'll say is that when they when they put the tack on him in the afternoon, he hasn't missed a beat. So I think when push comes to shove, Flightline is a little too much horse for Speaker's Corner. But I have a tremendous amount of respect for Speaker's Corner, who I think is a really, really good horse and has gotten a lot better in 2022. He hinted at having that ability as a three-year-old. So I'm fascinated to see the matchup. Honestly, Stu, they could have just run these two and I'd have been fine. If it was a, <laughs> if it was a match, I think it's going to play out a lot like a match race, actually, because I think they're the only two with speed. And um, it's just going to be a matter of how close Speaker's Corner can stay to Flightline early. Well, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I absolutely agree. Now, uh, my question about this race will be betting-wise. What, what is your suggestion? Because I know a lot of people will just sit there and go, well, just give me the one and two. And it's, if I'm playing uh, horizontals, uh, just give me the one and two, and I'll just treat that as a free space and move on. Do you think that's you know how would you approach it or do you like you said do you want to get to flight line and just go why well, i, I got to find value who I, I create value and just pick a horse pick one not both um yeah i don't think you need to do that now if you like speaker's corner don't use flight line right there's no if you have a strong opinion that speaker's corner can win don't use flight line you're completely negating any any edge you have if you think like i do the flight line is probably a little too good for them then you know for every three units you use flight line you're going to use speaker's corner for one yeah. so or maybe even more than that as far as the multi-race plays go i mean i just use the one and two here i probably press the one again three times as much as as the two and what i'll be looking to do is bet doubles in and out of it so I'm going to take my price horses I laid out in the Jiper and play them into to a flight line. And, you know, maybe a gear jockey flight line double pays 10 to one. That's going to end up being a, you know, roughly an eight to one shot with a one to two shot. So I'll, I'll take the, I think, it would, I think that's a little bit better than a parlay. I guess I need about 13 and a half to one. So now that I do a little math on the fly, if I can get that, I'll take it. I would, I would do that without a problem. Then coming out of it, I would play some doubles of flight line into the horse that I like in the Manhattan, who we'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. And, and you bring us right into it. I, I'll, I'll lead off with this. It really seems like between uh Tribuvian and Santon, there's going to be some pace in here and it really depends on what, what horse coming from off the pace do you like? Uh, it, it, do you subscribe to that theory or, or are you going a different way? It feels like there should be some pace. I agree. The, I think the, you know, obviously don't, I wouldn't advise anybody really assume that Limperator is a speed horse because yes, he wired the field last time up. He's not a speed horse. He went to the lead because it was a boggy turf horse and nobody showed speed. So Tribuvin is the speed horse from the Chad barn. He is not a rabbit. He is in there to try and win because he honestly has credentials to win this race. I bet him last time out. Um, I actually liked him quite a bit at Churchill and I'm not buying anything that happened on that Churchill turf course whatsoever. I thought it was a course that only certain horses handled. And again, I'm not a big, you know, so-and-so didn't handle the course excuse guy. But when you see some of the margins that we had in those turf races, those are not consistent with the course that everybody's handling. 
So, I mean, the Brendan Walsh horse that won the Edgewood on, on Friday of Derby week, won, you know, blew by the field, won the race by like five lengths. That's not normal. And, and, and Mira Mission and Santin pulling off six lengths clear of everybody else, that's not normal. So I'm going to throw those out. I love that it gave Tribuven a start in, in 2022 to get things going. I think he's very dangerous. I have to say, and, and you know, I will remember four years ago when I'm watching this race that I bet Channel Maker, who at that stage of his career was actually a kind of a dead last closer, and Jose Ortiz just completely butchered him. And, and Graham Motion ended up winning the race with spring quality. I love the two races that Channel Maker has run with Luis Saez. I don't know if maybe it was just a change of the pace kind of deal, but you know, when Saez got on Channel Maker and he got in on the AE list in the Breeders' Cup turf, many of us laughed. And there was a moment turning for home that I thought to myself, are you kidding me? He might actually hit the board <laughs> in this race. And, and I mean, and they had gone a suicidal pace. Saez seems to be able to get this horse to relax. Manny could never get this horse to relax. He was a one-way speed horse. And if he got hooked at all early, he was toast. This is now two races in a row with Saez that he has sat off of a hot pace and he's still been able to finish. I don't fault him whatsoever for losing some ground in the stretch of the Breeders' Cup turf. And I think at a mile and a quarter, he's probably going to be capable of sitting, you know, two or three lengths off of it if Tribuven is setting the pace. And I think that makes him very dangerous from there because he has the stamina to hold off some of the late runners. So I'm going to make Channel Maker one of the focuses, uh, focal points, I should say, of my day. And I'm really looking forward to seeing if he can still class up with these. A couple couple horses I, I need to get your take on because I, I really don't know what to do with them. The first, the three Tokyo gold, um, you see some things in this past performances for, for this, uh, for this horse that, you know, kind of stick out. I, what, what's your take on this? Have you, have you seen the, uh, pre uh Lafitte and and uh some of these Italian races I know Italy's not like uh you know a hub of turf racing in Europe but you know what do you what do you take from them well this horse's two races last year would not be good enough to win and he just hasn't given us any indication so far in 2022 that he's gotten better so I think he's appropriately priced by David at 30 to 1 and I think it would take probably some pretty Pretty significant improvement. The form in the Belmont Derby also held up very poorly. So Bolshoi Ballet, who of course came back and ran a couple times after that in America, including the uh, the Saratoga. Actually, I think he ran the Jockey Club Derby Invitational as well and didn't run particularly well. So I would be surprised if Tokyo Gold is a factor um, and it's probably going to take a better race than he's ever run before by a pretty large margin to get him in the money. I'll transition to a much smaller shot uh, that I think is also interesting. Highland Chief for Graham Motion. You know, Graham goes on these spurts, it feels like, Nick, where, you know, he's really good, then he's ice cold. Uh, do you feel like this is one of the best, if not the best in his barn? Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually think the best horse in Graham Motion's barn is the three-year-old filly he's running in at Ascot, uh, Spenderella. But Highland Chief is a very good horse. And the, the fear, of course, here from a betting perspective is that this is the last time was the time horse, right? I mean, he was supposed to, he was supposed to be an outsider in the man award. He ran very well to win at 19 to one. And now you're going to take probably a third of that at a distance that maybe he doesn't hold as much of an edge at versus his competition on a turf course that also might not negate the late kick of some of the other horses. That was the, that was not a particularly firm course last time out. It was also a very slow pace. So I think he was helped by the circumstance quite a bit. I just, as a matter of principle, I have a hard time taking the price that he's going to be relative to what he was last time out. But um, look, Graham has won this race multiple times with price horses, I think specifically of 17 and 18. I don't remember the horse's name who won in 17, but he was a big price in 18. He won with spring quality. And I think about 19 to one. So this is a horse will be a shorter price than that. And, you know, that Graham motion guy can still win graded stakes on the turf. Let's head to the main event, the Belmont. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the question from a lot of folks when they're looking at this race is historically, we think of this race as you got to be near the front. You, you know, closers don't necessarily win um, or they're a little bit out of a disadvantage in this kind of race. And you've got only one horse and that really can go. Um, I, and, and, I use time form just like you shout out to Craig and Dave. Uh, 
for their great work and promoting it. But, you know, that derby form kind of throws off all the early pace figures and you start looking and it's like, there's not really anybody except we, the people that goes, it really feels like we, the people is just going to go around like a merry-go-round. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. That's exactly how it looks on paper. Um, it, it all, it basically becomes a question of who's, whose rider or connections will look to do something different. And um, I think the candidates are Barber Road is one. Um, he is a horse who they are taking the blinkers off. So I think there is a, at least an argument that can be made that he's a horse who will be more forwardly placed. I think one candidate to a lesser extent is Creative Minister, who I think will be probably sitting second or third Golden Glider can be a little bit closer, but the, the bottom line is that these horses are all not speed horses. We the People is the speed horse. So he is going to be about as clear as Flavian Pratt wants to be. The problem with We the People is that he got a big speed figure on a wet track when he got a lonely lead. And he was helped a great deal that day when the other speed had an issue at the start. So you have to, to deal with all of those things happening at the same time. And now you're going to have to take a shorter price than he was in the Peter Pan going a mile and a half when the circumstances will likely be squarely in his favor again. As a matter of betting principle, he's a bad bet. He's a bad bet at two to one, even though he is clearly the likeliest winner in this race to me. So I think that's that's kind of how you have to how you have to approach him. Um, Creative Minister is the horse that I will pick and I will likely bet because I think he is getting better in a very significant way. And I think he has the ability based on the pace figures that he's put forth to stay close and still finish. And I don't know who else in here is going to be able to stay close and still finish. So I would prefer creative minister to anybody else that's going to take significant money. I got to tell you, Stu, the horse that's going to take a lot of money in here that there's a lot of chatter about that. I don't get it all is Modonical. I don't, I don't know why everybody is seemingly so convinced that Modonagal will really benefit from the mile and a half. I don't, you know, I guess it's that he sort of looks like a horse that wants to run all day. Um, I think Modonagal in a way is, is a dressed up horse. He got an enormous pace set up in the Kentucky Derby. He got a phenomenal ride to win the, the Wood Memorial. He's a horse who's going to be much too short a price for my liking. So I'm going to focus my wagering in here on the one and five and probably press the five on some of my multi-race bets to try and maximize that opinion. Nick, I can't thank you enough for going over the card with me. Um, real quick, where where can people find you? I know you're doing a lot of great stuff at Sam Houston. I was betting. I was firing on Derby Day. That was fun. Um, you know, I thought I watched the uh, the preview show you did uh, before the races started. I thought that was excellent information. It's good racing. I And, and some prices. You get some prices. Um certainly a track to follow uh besides sam houston where else can people find you i'll have a couple of uh podcasts out this week with pete fornital on in the money media and my analysis will be available at, at in the money podcast.com so those are the two easiest places to do so there will also be a steve bick appearance for me on friday uh, many condolences out to steve on the loss of his father who passed away on monday and uh, Steve will be back at Belmont broadcasting. I think he'll be, be at Belmont. He might be at home, but uh, he'll be back broadcasting for the weekend. So I will be available there and I'll have a few tweets ready for everybody as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're going to get after it. And uh, real quick, what's going on with these Astros? I mean, it's up, it's down. Um, they're an under machine except for tonight, but uh, I, how you like your Astros so far this year? Well, they're not hitting enough, right? And two of the guys in their lineup that really set the table and, and provide a lot of support for Jordan Alvarez are Bregman and Yuli, and they're not hitting. So, I mean, they're hitting 220 and I think 218, respectively. So they seem to also have a hard time with the Mariners. This is now the second straight series they've lost to the Mariners, which they're a team that they have just mopped and up they jumped. They jumped early on Logan Gilbert tonight, which uh, was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty... Based on how he's been pitching. Yeah, and Urquidy's been the weak link in their rotation. He's got a 504 ERA. So, you know, he is likely to be the guy that 
um, that ends up, it's tough because I mean, you're talking about a guy that started multiple world series games. So they're going to get Odorizzi and McCullers back at some point, probably both in August, July or August. And you have a feeling that Arquiti and Christian Javier are the ones that come out of the rotation at that point. But, you know, they've, they've really penciled in Arquiti as a long-term option as a starter. So I think there's just gonna have to be some work done with him to see how they can sort it out. I'll tell you what they're getting is every five days they're getting a quality start from Fromber and Verlander. So, I mean, this is a team that long-term is going to be good. They've got a lot of good players and uh, luckily the angels have just shit themselves all together. So, I mean, the <laughs> oh, of it, it is, it, it is a dumpster fire. I, I don't know what's worse. The angels or the athletics. Well, and this, and right. And the only thing is that we knew the A's would be bad. Right. I mean, we were getting assured early in the season that the angels were actually good by Joe Madden and now he's unemployed. So yeah, it, that's been really bad. And don't get me started ranting about Mike Trout. I love Mike Trout. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think the accolades that are thrown at him are a little much because he is a guy who baseball is, is much more of a team sport than people realize. Yes, the matchups are individual, but Mike Trout might be the best player in the last 20 years and his team has never won a damn thing. So, well, you know, and, and like you said, I don't, I don't want to say it, not your words. I'm going to say it, but, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera, uh, probably a little bit better. That's my thought, always been my thought, but, you know, uh, I know it's an unpopular one. And, hell, you could throw Verlander in there for how long he's been doing this. He's going on year 16, and he's ridiculous. Yes, and seemingly better after, after um, having Tommy John. It's amazing. Guys, incredible. And he's got Kate Upton, so can't can't bet an eye at that. Uh, Nikki the Boss, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Dreammaker Racing. Uh, hope you all enjoy the weekend racing, and uh, we'll see you next time after a while.